Welcome to the Design Build Institute of America's Design Build Delivers podcast. I'm Kim Wright at DBIA's National Headquarters. We all know how important it is to start your project off on the right foot. Ensuring your design build contracts are top notch is critical. That's why DBIA is excited to roll out updated 2022 contract documents today. This has been a massive undertaking involving thousands of man hours over several years, but we're confident you'll agree it was well worth it. That's because these new documents help teams keep pace with our ever-changing industry and the new challenges you face in today's marketplace. Design Build pros representing the entire industry have built these new consensus documents, ensuring they'll serve every member of a Design Build team. And that's what makes DBIA contract documents unlike any others. Today, Louis Jenny, DBIA's Vice President of Advocacy and Industry Engagement, talks to Holly Streeter Schaefer with Burns and McDonald, who is DBIA's current Contracts Committee Chair, and Scott Chirilla with CDM Smith, who's the immediate past chair. Together, they've been working tirelessly with DBIA's many committees to produce the most thorough design-build contracts out there. Before we turn it over to Lewis, DBIA offers our special thanks to USCAD for partnering with us to bring you this year's episodes of Design Build Delivers. Now, Lewis will get our contracts conversation started. Well, thanks so much to Holly and Scott for joining us today to talk about the exciting release of our DBI contracts we've been working on for a few years. Um, Holly is our current chair of the contracts committee. Scott is the immediate past chair. And uh, we, along with the rest of the committee, have been working on updating these. They've been working on updating these. I've been helping them. Um, I serve as staff liaison. I'm the uh, uh, vice president of advocacy and industry engagement. and it's been an interesting and educational ride for me uh, getting these online or getting these updated because I'm not a, a an attorney as these two are, and I'm certainly not a contracts attorney, but I've learned a lot and it's been uh, it's been actually kind of fun working on this stuff. Um, so with that, if it's all right, uh, if you guys are ready to go, let's just jump right in. Okay. Sounds great. Thanks, yeah. Lewis. Yeah. Thanks, Lewis. So um, let's start with talking about the contracts committee itself. Holly, could you just tell us like, you know, you, we just reconstituted it. Scott, you were involved with bringing it together, what is that, three or four years ago. Just like, who's on it? Who are we looking for? Why are they on it? Things like that. Holly, if you could start. Sure. You know, we look, we look for anyone who is interested in helping because reviewing contracts, that's if it's not part of your regular job, or even if it is, it's a lot of work because we have a number of documents within the DBIA contract suite. And so we're always looking for participants that are interested and that grueling type of review and detailed review to take a look at the current suite to say, can we be looking at these differently? Has our industry changed? And should we be updating? And if so, how are we going to update those? So we like people who have that kind of interest and want to take that kind of review on. But also what I would say is the most beneficial piece of the DBIA contracts committee is that we have a lot of diversity on the committee. We have people who are not lawyers, but who deal with contracts on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. We have people on the committee from all sectors, from owners to architects, to engineers, to integrated design build firms, 
to construction companies, to supply entities, subcontractors that all sit on the committee and always have been very much influencers in terms of the contract forms that we put together, the changes that we make. And we have some very robust conversations in regards to some of those because some of the provisions, because we all come from such different backgrounds and the way that we use the documents are a little bit different. So that's been my favorite piece of the committee is that diverse background that everyone brings. What about you, Scott? Uh, that's it, Holly. I mean, I I think that, the, uh, you know, the effort that we undertook to make sure that we had every every sector of the industry represented on the committee from owners to designers, both architects and engineers and contractors to, you know, to bring to bring true consensus to the to the development of the documents so that they were they were balanced all 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 I'll say all three sides of the ball to borrow that that football analogy were were represented and um, uh, and I think it, it results in what's truly a, a a an industry consensus document you know coming out of the the association which is the Design Build Institute of America and um, so no that that that's great you know I remember first seeing that. Um, when I was involved uh, with the refresh for the 2010 documents, um, you know, it's been a long time, but, but watching these titans of the industry going at it, you know, and arguing points, and I was just absolutely amazed. And it was to, to witness that and to come away with a true understanding and belief that, that these documents represented a, you know, an industry consensus. And it's, it's carried through to this day. Yeah, and it sort of makes me think of something too, uh, if I if I may, because um, we just reconstituted the committee this year, and you know, following on what you said, Scott, it's like we have we have some new blood now on the committee too. Like we have some new folks that are bringing new perspectives and new ideas and new things. But we also have, for lack of a better word, you know, the old hands who who who've been doing this for a while, and it's you know just sort of observing it and uh, helping facilitate it. Uh, it, it it just makes for some such interesting conversations to me, and well, uh, especially it, with the best practices, because we have one one of our committee members who's been on the contracts committee for a number of years, like Scott. But then she also participates in the best practices for DBIA and brings that knowledge to our group, so we get that benefit. So when we're teaching about best practices from a design build standpoint, we're bringing that into our contracts. So there's that been that nice sort of overlap because of the different committee members, which has been great. Absolutely. So, um, so moving on from that, Scott, so how, you know, how would you say the DBI contracts um, are different from other form documents? Like why should design builders and owners and why should they be using these documents as opposed to the other ones? You sort of touched on that a minute ago, but you could... Yeah, thanks, Lewis. And I, I, yeah, I'll admit to a to a slight amount of bias, um, but I, I, you know, it comes from from witnessing it. You know, from witnessing those those discussions that I mentioned, coming all the way back to goodness, it had to been uh, 09 for the for the for the twenty ten refresh, and 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 carried through during the the time that I had the opportunity to to co chair this committee with Holly, and then and then she's taken it over. I mean it. It is a debate, you know, I mean, we don't all agree on everything. And that's actually the, the beauty of this thing. I think that, you know, again, having having designers, having builders and having owners on that committee, 
there have been some spirited discussions. Um, and I, you know, I've raised this before, even, even between co-chairs last year, there was a point uh, with respect to standard of care that, that Holly and I didn't agree on, but you know, yeah, that, that's compromise, right? And that's, that's how committees work. And I think that the product that ends up being, being published is, is reflective of that. And, and so it, it, I think that is, is what differentiates the documents, Lewis. I mean, I know that there are other industry forms out there. They're, they're, they're good forms. Um, however, I don't believe that any other organization publishing a national set of industry forms can say what we can say in terms of the participation of, of at least with respect to the design build documents now, that, that how every side, how owners, how designers, and how builders uh, were, were working together to create a document that, that represented the best practices and, and, a, and a fair and balanced approach to the, to the industry like, like we do. And I, that's what our differentiator is right there. And I'm going to give a plug for an upcoming DBIA convention in Las Vegas in November this year, where we have a group, a panel from our contracts committee who will be presenting at that annual conference to really distinguish and sort of look at how the different industry forms are similar, at least from the owner design builder contract form. So we're going to be doing that analysis. So if you'd like to know more about the differences or some similarities between some of our industry forms out there, that will be part of the presentation that the contracts committee for DBIA will be having at the annual conference in Las Vegas in November. So there's my shameless plug for us, Scott. <laughs> uh, and, and, and to further that, uh, it's on uh, November 3rd at uh, 3 p.m. Las Vegas time. That is correct. <laughs> I had that note also. <laughs> as far as we're, as long as we're gonna do shameless plugs, let's do it. <laughs> um, great. And then there's also like, I mean, you may, it, Tell me if you already sort of said this in a different way, because, again, I'm the non-contracts guy here, but they're sort of about risks, too. It's like I think the other con other folks, who they tend to because we have everyone at the table, right? You, you're able to discuss and put the appropriate risks where they belong or sort of where where they make the most sense. Mm -hmm. um, or, or am I sort of just repeating what you all just said? No, you're exactly right, Lewis. When we when we look at contracts in general, the idea is to transfer the risk, hopefully, to the party who is best able to manage that risk. And DBIA contract forms, in my very biased opinion, probably as well, like Scott said, do that very well. They look at the risk and given the situation of that risk, likelihood of it happening and consequences following therefrom, who is best able in terms of the contracting parties to manage that risk? Sometimes it's the owner, sometimes it's design builder. We look at it the same when we're looking at the architect engineering contract between the design builder and their design consultant and all the subcontract forms as well. We're trying to allocate that risk in the best way possible. And I think that's likely where some of the more robust conversations and discussions we've had as a committee come up because every industry participant is looking at risk maybe in a little bit different way. And we've seen some of those things come out with COVID-19. Now we have supply chain issues. 
labor shortage and labor supply issues in our industry, at least in the United States, but obviously it's affecting us worldwide. And we're seeing some of that come in in terms of that risk allocation. And I would say, based on my use of the Design Build Institute of America documents, which are my go-tos for design build projects, I think the risk is still allocated very fairly, even in the situations that right now are very hard to control or really hard to foresee. Are you interested in sustainable design and construction practices, but concerned about profitability? U.S. CAD, a Venzero company, helps forward-thinking ENR top-ranked AEC firms mitigate risk and drive profit through digitalization using Autodesk AEC technology. To learn more, contact uscad.com slash DBIA for a free 30-minute consultation. That's uscad.com slash DBIA. Holly mentioned this before, but you know our documents are reflective of, of DBA best practices, right. and 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 the appropriate risk allocation is one of the f- top three fundamental, uh, I would say, of the of the DBA best practices. And and the effort is not to overly protect one party or another, or or, or achieve any any set goal beyond a successful project. And I think that's what the history has told us that that appropriately allocated risk means lowered contingency, less dispute, uh, potentially less change orders and 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 ultimately project success. And so that's the, that was the goal that really goes through, I would suggest goes through every one of the documents that that we're publishing. Well so I had Holly's next to this name next to this next one, but Scott, I'm actually going to give it to you because you, you you're going to pick up right where you left off, which is the process of updating, because you were the chair of the committee when that really got started. Um, and uh, Holly was there very much involved, so she'll know too. But um, just sort of the process that we went through a little bit, I mean, just dive in a little bit more about, um, you know, starting with the 535 and, you know, why we and why we did this and how we did this. No, and 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 yeah, I mean, Holly, is, as, as co-chair, she actually knows this very, very well. I mean, we we did we started with 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 the prime contract documents right i mean um and i believe even the uh with the general conditions which which is is probably the the vessel that contains most of the of the administrative and and risk appropriation and procedural elements of of any design build project you've got those general conditions and then two different agreements, if you will, that would then tie specifics of, of parties and price and scope and schedule that would then be assigned or assigned to the project. Um, so the two documents together, the agreement, one of which was lump sum and the other cost plus subject to a GMP, those two, two agreements, um, one of those two would be selected and then the general conditions utilized with the agreement. So yeah, that's where we started. Because from those, from that prime agreement and, and those general conditions, every one of the other agreements in some way flows, right? Or it's connected to, because after that, you've got the sub, the sub agreements, both, both trade and, and, and design designer, and then the team agreement, every, everything ultimately flows back to those, to the general conditions in those agreements. And, and, and so that was the focus. That was the initial focus followed quickly by, by work on the progressive documents. You know, they had just been introduced um, mid cycle, if you will, between the, 
um, the last refresh in, in 2010 and then the current the current refresh. So the, the progressive design build document got inter, uh, introduced there and there were relatively minor changes just to make it consistent with, um, with the other documents, more from a pr procedural standpoint uh, than anything else, than anything really material or substantive um, with respect to those documents. But uh, so yeah, that's where we started. And then, I mean, the process involved assigning and getting volunteers to, to take it on. And we tried to put groups of two and three together on each of those documents. Um, uh, the, the, those uh, subcommittees, if you will, after, after having gone through would then circulate comments to the, to the committee, to the, to the committee overall. And, and the discussion would begin and we would just go through, accept, discuss, change and, 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 and a pretty arduous time consuming process to go through every one of the suggested changes and uh, ultimately ended up with a document that got taken to the board of directors for approval and ready for publication. The only other thing I would add, and it is a very minor add that at least this year, and I don't remember Scott, that we did a lot of it in the last years and probably because we were dealing with the core documents, but this year we've engaged a couple of the other committees within DBIA to take a look at some of our contract forms. And I think specifically it was the owner advisor agreement, the DBIA 501, if I remember correctly. And then I think we also have some comments. Is it on the 540 from our, Ad design advocates group yep, as yep, well. And yep. Lewis, you might have to correct me on that. No, that's right. That's right. Yeah, no, Holly, I, that's actually, a, uh, I, I would suggest a major point because you're right. I mean, um, we did, there was an effort to make sure that, that the other committees um, took a look at the, took a look at the contract documents to make sure not only were they consistent with best practices and, and the primer documents that are published by the DBIA, but also with course materials that, that, that are being taught for a certification program um, and, and other, and other materials. So, so yes, there was an effort to make sure there was engagement by all, all standing committees. Yeah. We even reached out to, uh, at least on the general conditions and some of those early ones, we reached out to some of the folks who were involved with the 2020 2010 update who weren't involved with the committee anymore just sort of like any thoughts on this any things on this you know we got some interesting comments back so it was good um so let's can we talk a little bit more specifically about what some of the specific changes are and um holly we had talked about some of these the other day that you thought were kind of key that people should know about and sort of why we did them and things like that can you talk about that Absolutely. I'll, I'll start with warranty. This, this was kind of like my baby. It's always been a concern for me across the board in every industry contract that's out there, whether you're talking about the Institute or the American Institute of Architects, the consensus docs, and DBIA as well, there really wasn't a warranty period. There's great definition associated with what we're warranting as a design builder but there wasn't a warranty period. Um, so the change that we made both to the agreement forms. So when I talk about the agreement forms, I'm referring to the DBIA 525, 530, 544, and then the 545. And then the general conditions is the 535 document. We made changes to both so that when the parties are negotiating from the owner design builder contract form, their contract, their agreement for the project 
that they are looking at adding a warranty period that is then referenced back into the general conditions of the 535 where the warranty language sits. And now we have the two documents tied together in terms of the warranty period. And that, that to me was a very important change and one that I don't see a lot in our industry forms, but something that I think is key in our industry because most of our industry participants think about it as a one-year warranty period, but it was never actually set forth in the contract documents. So now we have a place where the parties can input a warranty period into their contract forms. And to me, that was, that was a big change. Another big change that came into the 535 and general conditions was the indemnity clause where we separated out uh, the general indemnity for the design builder into a professional services or a design warranty, and then sort of a construction warranty as well. So we've separated those out based on a lot of discussion that we had as a committee in regards to the indemnity obligations that a design consultant can take based on some of their lines of coverage that they can purchase, most specifically the professional liability policy. I think was a major driver and the reason why we separated out the general indemnity for the design builder into two separate indemnities, one for design and then one for the general construction. And Scott, what are your thoughts? No, that's right. I mean, tying, making sure that we, that we tied, tied those indemnity provisions to the, you know, to the subtle differences, but well, differences between the types of insurance that are, that, that apply to professional services and those that apply to the general liability uh, standpoint. Yeah, that was the, that was a the driver there. And there was, you know, again, I think there was, there was some, some discussion, a lot of discussion about that and about if that was the right play or not. Um, I'm, 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 I'm satisfied and happy where the, where the committee ended up on that. I, I, you know, and I know another one that, that, you know, Holly, you and I had had discussion on, but that was with respect to the design sub agreement or the subagreement between design builder and designer, um, the elimination of a, of a optional provision to provide for a heightened standard of care or um, specific performance requirements for a design. And the elimination of that option was, was to make that document consistent with, with DBI best practices, which I guess up until that point uh, had not been. The one other provision that I was just remembering when I was looking through the changes was we added a limited recourse clause to the 535 as well. And this one I find interesting because as we see case law change and statutes change across the country that affect the construction industry, Florida is what comes to mind. that There's a specific statute that if you put it into your contract in the right format in the right font, and then in the exact language that's required by law, Architects and engineers don't have personal liability when they're working inside of a corporation or limited liability company, a limited corporation or a professional corporation, that they aren't personally liable for their design, but the company that signs the contract actually is. And so we incorporated a clause into the contract that looks at it in the same way that when we have two corporations or two entities in terms of a created entity, a business association under the law, that the parties are going to look to that entity and not the individual officers or employees of that company. And I think that's another really good change that we put in to make that clear, which I think is consistent with how our industry is heading. 
or where they're heading. Sounds good. See, this is just the kind of stuff I spent the last three years learning about drinking this all in. And, you know, my head was spinning at first and I still not sure I get it all, but uh, it's fascinating to talk about it. And uh, the discussions were always um, really interesting. Um, so is there anything else on this, like sort of the changes we need to cover or, or we want to talk? You about know, probably I, maybe the last one to mention, Lewis, would be the retain age um, provisions mm -hmm. and and there was just, we altered that in terms of the options available to, to owner and design builder for retainage. And um, I, I think you'll see in, in, in these updated documents, it's been kind of one of the, one of the consistencies that has evolved um, as the, as the documents have moved from the 2010s to the current versions, a lot more checkbox option and, and, and alternative language opportunities in the, in the agreements to really allow for the agreements to be tailored to specific projects and, 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 the, and the dynamics that, that are unique to, to every project from, you know, state statutory requirements to just, just the commercial, the commercial terms of, of any, of any particular deal. So they're, they're, they're highly customizable and consistent with the way that the DBIA issues those documents once purchased from the bookstore can be edited um, and uh, freely edited by the parties to make sure that, that they, uh, you know, that they remain useful for, for any particular deal. Yeah, that's a big selling point. People are surprised sometimes. Like you're just you're just giving us a word document. Like yeah, we're just giving you a word document. <laughs> um, all right. So um, why don't we finish up, Holly? Like um, we now there we're, we're we sort of got the core documents, you know, on their way and um, updated. We're we're the core documents are out there. We're wrapping up some loose ends, but we got some new things coming on that the committee's engaged with now. Um, Holly, would you mind talking about those for a minute or two? Absolutely. Uh, we do have some additional documents that we are working on. We did create, I call it a task force, maybe a subcommittee for our diversity, equity, and inclusion to look at how do we make our job sites, our construction projects, our design projects more diverse, inclusive, and equitable, and how do we engage in that. So we're working on some what I would say probably an addendum that can be used by owners, design builders, and their team members to look at that, look at those issues on our job sites and on, in our contracts and who we retain to perform services under the contracts on construction projects. So we're hoping to have that finalized in the next few months and offer that up to those who purchase the DBIA suites, or I think industry wide if others were looking at some ideas on that. We are also working on our owner advisor agreement. And Scott can talk a little bit more about that because he's been heavily involved in that. We are looking at updating our teaming agreement, our joint venture agreement, um, BIM sustainability and insurance exhibits as well. And those we're all currently in the works and hoping to have something to our committee members to review and then outside of DBI of the contracts committee, looking at it from getting input from other committees within DBIA and a number of those new documents as well. 
Yeah, Holly, you mentioned that the owner advisor agreement, the 501, that you know, that was a document that um, f- for whatever reason just did not keep up with the evolution of the rest of the, the DBIA forms. And um, so, a, so a big effort was made in conjunction with the owner advisor committee to restructure that agreement so that that it's it's familiar and that the, that it, that it shares a commonality with with the other professional subagreements. Um, so there was some some restructuring. There was some some uh, you know material terms and conditions that had to be changed for for consistency standpoint. And then making the agreement, you know, like we spoke about before with the checkbox options, you know, allowing the document to be utilized in, in different types of owner advisor situations, be that vertical construction, uh, civil, civil construction, or importantly, between a situation like a fixed price uh, uh, design build procurement versus a progressive and where the scope of the owner advisor services would be potentially different, or at least the timing and the scheduling of those services um, will, will be different. So the effort is there and underway right now through, through those checkbox options to, to make that document again, familiar to, to uh, with the rest of the family of DBI docs and also usable by, by the parties for, for project specifics. Yeah. Sounds good. Um, so anything else we want to mention? I mean, another commercial for the, uh, for the session at, in Vegas or, uh, <laughs> anything else yeah, we should touch Lewis, on? I right. think you should absolutely plug it for us. Tell us what, when, where, why, and how. Thursday, November 3rd, you're going to be doing this great comparison among all these things. You're going to be talking about the new, uh, the new documents that are out there and, uh, it's going to be very educational. For everyone, uh, for everyone involved, again, Thursday, November third, three to four fifteen. Um, and with that, I will just say thank you guys very much. Well, could uh, one more thing? Yeah, I, you know, and also too, if anybody, any anyone who has an interest in becoming involved uh-huh. with our committee. Um, you know, please to reach out um, either through Lewis or uh, frankly, probably anybody at DBIA National can get you to the right, to the right people, but always looking for energetic, um, uh, interested individuals who want, want to, want to make a difference, want to get involved. I think, you know, committee work is an excellent way to get involved with DBIA National. It is an educational process that you'll never forget. And um, you do have the satisfaction of making a difference in your industry. And, and, and these contract docs are the probably the easiest, most outward facing way to do that. So I would encourage anybody who has any interest to reach out and get involved. I think that is the perfect plug and the perfect ending for our podcast on the DBIA contracts committee. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Scott and Holly. Thank you so much. Um, You'll find all this stuff in our bookstore and new stuff coming online all the time. Uh, Anyway, thanks for listening and have a good day. Thanks to Lewis, Holly, and Scott for filling us in on DBIA's exciting new contract documents release. You can find all of DBIA's contracts in the bookstore at store.dbia.org. Did you know DBIA members pay half price on their contract purchases? So now's the perfect time to join DBIA to capitalize on these huge savings when buying our new suite of design-build contract documents. 
If you're interested in learning even more about DBIA's new contracts, plan to join us for a detailed panel discussion at November's Design Build Conference and Expo, November 2nd through 4th in Las Vegas. Get the details at dbia.org slash conferences. And again, thank you to USCAD for their support of Design Build Delivers. Find out more at uscad.com slash dbia.